now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, just for safety's sake, do not congratulate anyone (laughs) for like three or four months. Just don't congratulate anyone. It's it's just bad mojo now. <laughs> is Putin on that list? It's, yeah, don't congratulate him. Okay, okay. Unless you really, really want to and just want to piss people off. What if the note <laughs> is in all caps and it says, "Don't don't congratulate"? I'll leave that up to your okay, discretion. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> God, how is this? How is that something that we need to talk about? Oh God. Hi guys, it's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, and I'm joined, as always, by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Howdy. Hey, Nick. Hi. Since we always tell ourselves to do this before the podcast, uh, if you like what you hear and you've been listening to us for a while or you're a new listener, uh, check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher and Blueberry and Google Play Music and various other podcasting platforms where podcasts reside. Um, uh, and if you and like, rate us. Yeah, rate, rate us, us uh, on the iTunes. If, you, uh, if you're not on social media, just tell your friends, right? Mm. <laughs> share us on Twitter. Share us on Facebook. God. Say, check out check out the Barstool Politics. I hear it's good. Yes. <laughs> Do that and then immediately get off all social media because it's yes. evil. So. Oh. Um. <laughs> Has everybody signed their non-disclosure agreements today? Um, I, I sent them to you. So. I, sent, I, I sign one every day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone I talk to sign one because I can't afford that later on. <laughs> Phil, you've got like a whole bunch of non-disclosure oh. agreements with people, right? Before I talk to anybody, I make them <laughs> sign one. <laughs> oh, boy. Constitutional crisis? Question mark? <laughs> <laughs> so let's start there. All right. So uh, let's remind everybody what's happened over the weekend. Our 241-year-old democracy drifted further into uncharted constitutional waters as President Trump lashed out at the FBI, James Comey, Andrew McCade, and the Mueller investigation. It all started late Friday evening when Jeff Sessions, Jeff Beauregard Sessions, uh, fired uh, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe mere hours before he was to qualify for his pension and then retire. That was that's just, it's mean, Nick. What a dick move. <laughs> they were saving the American people yes. tax dollars. Uh, Trump did a celebratory dance later that evening, tweeting, quote, it was a great day for democracy, and, quote, sanctimonious James Comey was his boss and made McCabe look like a choir boy. Uh, Trump spent the rest of the weekend directly attacking the Mueller investigation in a series of tweets, uh, calling the investigation a witch hunt. On Saturday, Trump's personal attorney, John Dowd, gave an interview in which he called on the Justice Department to end the special counsel investigation. 
the White House later released a statement noting that president is not discussing or even considering firing Mueller, but I think the president is is actually thinking that, Nick. I think he might be thinking <laughs> yes. about it. So there are there are like a, a whole host of topics that grow out of this. But what was your I guess your guys' initial reaction to the firing of McCabe and Trump's weekend, um, sorry, Trump's behavior over the weekend. Uh, troubling, disturbing, refreshing. Uh, Phil, where were you at in all of this? All, all of the above. <laughs> troubling, disturbing, and refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's <laughs> mostly the troubling and disturbing parts. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Again, I, like I said a second ago, it's just kind of a dick move to fire the guy right before he's set to retire. And and he's been sort of threatening this or implying it, Donald Trump has, for, for a, a, a while now. He kept – he had tweeted before. Yes. He had tweeted before about how he was set to retire soon and we'll see or something like that. Right. We'll see. Um, uh, no, I mean I think the, the part that is disheartening for me is that this seems like – a test run of him firing Mueller and and the idea that Republicans w- will speak up or speak out or be upset by the firing of Mueller if it comes um I'm I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that I mean there there are all of these you know sort of gradual steps or little things that have happened and and they might be less significant than the firing of Mueller, but they're all little tests, and and we continue to fail them. And and so I I don't I don't know. Six months ago, we talked about what would happen if Trump fired Mueller and the sort of crisis and meltdown that would occur. And I'm increasingly convinced that there wouldn't be any crisis or meltdown. Uh, um, I mean, I, there would be from from Democrats, but I, I don't I don't know. This weekend felt different in the sense this was the first time Trump had directly, I think, mentioned Mueller's name in a tweet. Uh, and, and and the whole idea that the White House releases a statement saying, like, no, 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 the president isn't considering. That, that's garbage because the, the president, his lawyer, are all attacking it, calling it a witch hunt, saying this is a partisan expedition. Uh, it's He's testing the water. And Trump does this often where he floats out some kind of idea to see the reaction. And you're right, Phil. Republicans, the usual group, pushed back. Flake and McCain and others, but it was a pretty small group. Can you? But can you really call it pushing back? I mean, it is pushing back, but you know, it, they got don't pretty do, animated about it. it. Yeah, but they they got animated about it, and then what? <laughs> well, and then what? Right? I don't, I don't know. What are they going to do? Like, I mean, what's the alternative, really? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't agree with it. I'm just saying. Like, I, I, I don't know what they well, could they possibly do. Well, they could pass legislation do. to say or do something to, to say that this is not acceptable. And it's not all of them. It's a handful who say that, oh, this would be, you know, this would be a constitutional crisis. So it's it's pushing back, but in the softest way possible. Um, so I, I don't have a whole lot of faith. I, I do think that would be a big deal. But... I don't know. It's it's very wishy-washy at best. Do you really think this is strategic? I mean, everything that we've seen thus far has, at least from my perspective, shown that there is no strategy. It's really, it's everything is personal. Everything is about likability and what's going to play well to the base and kind of sticking it to people who have stuck it to him. I I, I don't see a lot of strategy to this. I I think it's I think it's a vendetta more than anything. He really doesn't like McCabe. He does uh, not, and I think he feels that 
whether or not there was any collusion or any crime committed by Trump, he feels that the FBI, the intelligence community, is after him. Now, it could also be that they're after him because he's guilty of crimes, but I don't know if Trump can separate those two. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember, it wasn't long ago when Comey was fired and he called McCabe. Oh, yeah, and he called McCabe about the airplane. And McCabe said, well, you know, I sent... He didn't authorize the airplane, but he said, I would have done that. And then Trump responds with, your wife's a loser. You should ask her how it feels to be a loser. I mean, so for Trump... She did lose. She did lose. Yes, she lost an election. definitional loser. Yes. But that is very petty, and it is personal to that extent that you mentioned. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh Was he justified in firing McCabe? Hard to know. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's that's an interesting question because so the the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility had an inspector general conclude that McCabe had quote made unauthorized disclosures to the disclosures to the news media and lacked candor, including under oath, on multiple occasions. So they're arguing that this is an internal inspector general's report within the FBI that says he committed some wrong. Now, so th- that would suggest maybe there's merit. The pace of this. You know, it happened so quickly. And the fact that the president is constantly attacking him seems to me to 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 make this a bit more complicated. Um, For sure. The, the, I mean, the, the smart solution, right? If 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 McCabe did do these things and you want him gone and he's set to retire in a month, you, you just you just let it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to if he did things wrong, I'm not trying to excuse them or dismiss them. But the things that he did wrong seem uh, more minor. They don't seem to justify firing him right before he's set to get his, you know, to retire and get his pension. And I, yeah, it, it's the, you're right. The timing, the pace, all of it is is a little weird. And it's hard to know because they didn't release the inspector general's report. They will at some point, but we're just guessing now. So we can't know right. whether McCabe has come out and said that he's innocent. Um, and that this is it's a big misunderstanding. So it, it's it's hard to know in any of this. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I tend to agree with with both of you in this particular situation. I you know if there is if this was a legitimate internal investigation saying that uh, where is it coming from? Is, it, <laughs> is that your is that noise coming from you, Phil? I don't know what noise you're talking about. <laughs> um, if it was a uh, legitimate investigation done internally at the FBI and they did find this, I agree that the timing is shitty, but I also can easily see the administration going, yeah, I mean, let's let's make it sting. It's it's a legitimate concern to have. And, you know, he, he shouldn't be allowed to have a pension based on his conduct as of late. I, I again I don't I don't agree with that. I'm saying I can I can see that mentality yeah. playing out. For for sure. I, I if so if he is actually guilty of some wrongdoing, then the firing might be justified. What's not justified is going to Twitter to brag about it yes. in a in a in a this kind of personal and partisan way. That that's the yeah, I mean I I, I just you're going to deny the president his First Amendment rights to be a fucking lunatic on Twitter? What is wrong? It's un-American. And it was, it was, <laughs> there is something really distasteful about the way that he did that, right? I mean, so you're, you're right that the FBI fires people for leaking, for disclosing. I mean, that's all legitimate. But there's some deep, deep irony to this administration 
and Jeff Sessions in particular firing somebody for not being fully open and, and uh, you know honest in front of uh, the FBI because you know he himself had to clarify his own Senate testimony and and apparently McCabe this was a news thing I saw today had looked into whether Jeff Sessions had committed a crime not being fully truthful in his testimony to the to the to the Congress so it, there's there's just lots of layers to all of this um, and, I mean let's be honest we're we're giving we're giving Trump more credit than he deserves here right this is where again you you he's been in office long enough there are patterns established if if Trump hadn't already spent months attacking the FBI and the Department of Justice and firing James Comey and firing other people um, then if he comes out and says uh, McCabe did something wrong and we had to fire him um, it, it's there's a lot more credibility when he's been on a months long year long rampage attacking and undermining the Department of Justice. The idea that this is some sort of noble, it, it, it just yeah. you you sort of lose the ability to make that claim. Right. We're, we're giving him too much credit <laughs> right. to say that he you know, McCabe did something wrong and he deserved this. There's a there is a chance that is true. But almost certainly this is this has to do with <laughs> Trump being sensitive about a Mueller investigation and about the Department Department of Justice and all that other stuff. But, but, go ahead, Nick. but he was so level-headed in his tweets. <laughs> right, right. As soon as I saw he lied as shown clearly on Fox and Friends, yeah. I think I just stopped looking at my, the My tweets. favorite tweet was the one where you know, so the story broke that McCabe, just like James Comey, had taken notes after each one of their meetings to record all of these. And that's significant for testimony because, you know, that can be sort of evidence. Uh, and then Trump tweets out, says, spent very little time with Andrew McCabe, but he never took notes when he was with me. So, like, he assumes that the FBI individuals are, like, in the room writing notes down. <laughs> I don't believe he made memos except to help his own agenda, probably at a later date. Same with, same with Lion James Comey. Can we call them fake memos? <laughs> so, the defensiveness is like is remarkable, yes. right? Not in a level-headed defense. I mean, so back to what you were saying, Nick, about you don't think there's any real strategy here, and mm -hmm. I don't know if there is or not. I, I think the the larger or the easier and probably more logical conclusion is what we've seen throughout this year is that it hasn't been making as big of headlines, but the Mueller investigation is getting damn close to the to the inner circle of the Trump administration and Trump business. And the most logical ex explanation is that Trump is nervous because yeah. he's it's not looking good. And so there he's going to get if as he gets as things get more desperate for him, he is going to get more desperate in his actions. But do you think he's nervous because he knows there is there's something at the end of, of this rainbow that, that could actually implicate him, that there's some strategy behind what he's doing that put him into office, or is he nervous because all of this attention is on him and he doesn't like having all that negative attention on him? And I yes. tend to think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> or, or he authentic, to build on that second point, he authentically thinks this is a witch hunt and he's worried about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, both, both, both explanations no. fit his behavior. No, you're wrong, Bill. You're, <laughs> you're wrong. wrong. Well, so let's okay. Let's... He did. He did stuff <laughs> that he shouldn't have done, and he cannot handle criticism. Yeah. And those two things together are leave him in a really shitty position. Does this? Okay, so to circle back to this question that we've been addressing for months now, is he more inclined to actually fire him? I mean, do you think he would? Is this weekend setting the table for? him firing him this week or this next week or is it just kind of 
muddying the waters, uh, you know, attacking McCabe, making him look like a bad witness, attacking Mueller, making him look compromised. Is, do you think he's really going to fire him? I, we've talked about yeah. this. Like, that's... I, I, I agree. A lot of this stuff has been really bad. That would be... That would be it. That, that's the death knell for this whole thing. Like, you have enough Republican backlash to even the idea of that taking place that I think that would be, not to use a phrase from the last administration, but the red line that I, I don't think that even he would be willing to cross. But I could be completely wrong because he clearly doesn't read memos or pay attention to anybody. <laughs> what do you think, so, Bill? Do you think he's going to fire him? I, the the red line from the last administration is probably a good analogy because I think it is a red line that when it gets crossed nothing's going to happen. Oh, <laughs> so see, that's a better I, point. I like I, that. <laughs> I did. I don't know. I mean, I I'm I would I'm hopeful that if he were to fire Mueller, something would happen. But I I'm just not I'm not convinced. And I and I think I so I if I had to <clears throat> bet money today on whether he's going to fire Mueller or not, I would bet on yeah. Um, that he's going to. And and I go back to some of the stuff we talked about last week, which is that I think Trump's. So if we if you take the stuff we just talked about, which is that Trump has this sort of knee jerk defensiveness, he doesn't like being crit criticized. He I think that as Mueller gets closer to Trump, Trump's instinct is going to be to fire him. That's how he in business and in other aspects of life. That's how he dealt with someone that he didn't like. Right. You just get rid of them. Mm -hmm. If we go back to last week and the fact that Trump is slowly um, whittling away the the sort of adults in the room and surrounding himself with people who are yes men, then I, I think that that those two things add up. Trump's, I think, natural response to this would be to fire um, Mueller. And I think the number of people around him who will say to him, that's a bad idea is it, they're fewer and fewer and, and i so i that that all points towards it's going to happen and it mm -hmm. does feel like the changes in the administration he now feels comfortable in the position he feels comfortable being president he's trusting his gut he's gotten rid of those people a lot of those individuals who told him no doesn't like to be told no his a new lawyer that he brought on this guy uh what was his name uh joseph de genova genova i guess fox news guy who has been on TV arguing for an FBI conspiracy. So he's bringing somebody who's going to be open to that kind of argument. I think it's, it's entirely possible that that wins Trump over. I also wonder whether he doesn't need to fire Mueller, but he just needs to compromise Mueller. So like if he just continues to attack the, the investigation, to oh, attack McCabe, yeah, attack <clears throat> Comey, make them all seem like they're just as dirty as he is, and I don't know if you can do that to Mueller, but if he can get at them and not fire them, in some ways he will have won as well. Um, I, I think he, I think he can do that to Mueller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, just because of the, again, back to topics we've talked about over the last year, that he, it doesn't have to be based in fact. No. I mean, one of the tweets he was tweeting about was how Mueller's team is full of Democrats and, and like totally biased and. The fact that Mueller is a lifelong Republican or that other people are Republicans, it doesn't it, that doesn't You know, partisanship sort of shapes our views on these issues so strongly that I don't I, I think all all Trump has to do is to say that Mueller is dirty and people who like Trump and want to believe that Mueller is dirty will believe it. Agreed. We do realize how crazy that is, right? Because to your point, no. it's insane. Mueller is a Republican. And now Trump has been successfully able to label 
him as as a liberal who's infusing his whole investigation. I mean, what sense does that make? I mean, he's not he's not a Republican though. Like he's he's just not Mueller. Not, no, I, Mueller. Oh, yeah, 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 no. Trump is not a Republican. No, no. He he's he's trying to survive. This is about survival. Oh. It has nothing to do in with partisanship. For it's sure. <laughs> survival and popularity. That's all this is. It has nothing to do with the political parties. But. But his best tool for surviving this is by playing that Republican Correct. versus Democrat. Yeah, card. he'll play yeah. it. That doesn't mean he is one by any means. No, not at all. So, so one of the more interesting conversations for me this week was listening to people talk about whether this represents a constitutional crisis or constitutional rot. I like the idea of constitutional rot. So the, the, the distinction here would be that a constitutional crisis is when a political actor directly violates the Constitution. And I think it's fair to say Trump hasn't openly done that yet. He hasn't, uh, there hasn't been a court order that he says, I'm not going to follow. Like, he's he's gotten close, but he hasn't directly violated the Constitution. Mm -hmm. But his attacks, his behavior, his norm undermining is causing this constitutional rot, which might be more effective without directly confronting these constitutional rules. And Benjamin Wittes, they had an article in The Atlantic arguing that this week, that, that we should really conceptualize this as rot, not crisis. Oh, that's pretty brilliant. I love it's, it. I, I love yeah, it. I yes. I understand the point. And yeah. this is something that I continue to come back to. While I agree that his behavior is the antithesis of the behavior of someone who would normally be in the office and it definitely should not be occurring or somebody who's innocent or <laughs> maybe he's un unwittingly guilty you don't know right, right. it's true it's almost the same as innocent um it's <laughs> almost <laughs> this is the thing though so my thing is if he fires Mueller, yeah there's a good chance that there probably wouldn't be a lot of backlash from uh, certainly his base and Republicans yeah. in general. The alternative is he fire uh, he um uh he doesn't fire Mueller and unless there isn't a slam dunk process or um trail of ev evidence from beginning to end and literally a picture of him at the end, you know, holding a money bag with Putin in the background, I I even then I I there's a good possibility that people, again, in his base and on the right, will go, well, it was just, this was a waste of time and it was a witch hunt and, you know, you, yep. you did nothing and it this was not effective and a waste of time and money. I, I It comes back to what people are willing to believe and what they're what they're willing to actually do their homework and research on as opposed to taking cues from their yeah. political party and political leanings and Facebook and social media and, and the fact that they're not forming their own opinions based on solid, sound evidence mm -hmm. anymore. That's the rot more than anything, I think. It's a cultural rot that led to Trump. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Right, I like my point better than the one that was published. That was, that was good. <laughs> All right, so there's another angle that I think we got a few minutes left to talk about here. Is this? So there were a number of individuals this week who came out and directly attacked Trump. Uh, James Comey, uh, McCabe's lawyer, and then for me, most poignantly, John Brennan, the former CIA uh, director. And he, John Brennan tweeted this out. 
quote, when the full extent, talking about Trump, of your venality, moral turpitude. I had to look up turpitude, which means depravity and wickedness. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and political corruption becomes known. You will take your rightful place as a disgraced demagogue in the dustbin of history. You may scapegoat Andy McCabe, but you will not destroy America. America will triumph over you. That well done. <laughs> so Okay, so here's the question. And so James Comey... He's coming out with a book soon. He tweeted out, Mr. President, the American people will hear my very my story very soon, and they can judge for themselves who is honorable and who is not. So for twenty five ninety nine in hardcover. So so here's the question: is is this helpful to have former members of uh, of, of these of the FBI and the CIA to come out and call Trump out to say what you're doing is despicable, or should they have a more reserved role? Are they compromised by doing so? Not on Twitter. <laughs> Not on Twitter. No, it's it's I, like I, you know, it's a joke, but it's the wrong venue. If you're going to do it, do it publicly and uh, actually on TV somewhere. Yeah. Do it to his face. Like it's the, it, he, Trump, and and the the people that surround him, and like we were talking about before we even started recording, Twitter and social media in general is just this swamp of just shit that people spew because they this anonymity and they feel like they can do whatever they want really you know balls to the wall say what you're what you actually mean and do it in a place that has consequences this is not the forum to do it anymore because it means nothing so for you it's not I, what he said it's where he said it yeah yeah phil i think that's true i i, I think that i think you're both I mean, wrong it, <laughs> You're entitled to your completely no. wrong opinion. I mean, we we be, we began at the beginning of the Trump administration talking about like, is there an obligation for people to resign or to step down or to speak out if they disagree with what Trump is doing? And and I think they there is that obligation. And so I think that there is a duty for people who have been in these positions of power and and have access to these inform this information to say something but i think that there's something I, I think your point is valid nick when you when you just tweet back at the president you're essentially stooping to his level and minimizing it. if james comey called a press conference it would be if he called a press conference to make a, like a written to make a spoken statement about donald trump that would make news right that mm -hmm. would be mm -hmm. a significant thing um, when you just sort of snipe at him from Twitter, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I was I was going to come into this saying that it's kind of a lose lose that they they have an obligation to say something, but by saying something, they're kind of stooping to Trump's level. But I, I, your point is totally valid, Nick, which is that they you can say something in a different way by acting in the way that a like if you think that Donald Trump's doing it wrong, then show us how to do it right. Do it right. Correct. Okay, I'm a little convinced. Yay. I still think, though, that you're right. It would be better if he did it in a public venue. That being said, somebody has to do this. And so it's an interesting. I mean, uh, John Brennan, who is, I mean, he, he served in the Obama administration, but he, he'd been a long-standing individual in the CIA. So to see somebody do that, for me, was important, right? And I guess you're right. The tweet wasn't the perfect venue but somebody, the Republicans aren't. And in some ways, Democrats can't really do this because it seems partisan. And if Republicans aren't going to stand up, then maybe it falls 
to those individuals who serve in these institutions, the FBI, the Department of Justice, uh, the CIA, to say that there's something more significant here that you are attacking, the institution of American democracy, not just, you know, partisanship. And so I, I, I don't know, I, I, I was heartened by the fact that Brennan gave those, sent that tweet out. It, it's a hard, it's a hard line to walk mm-hmm. because I, I say that um, <laughs> if Comey called a press conference, it would be big news, and and I it would for like one night on NBC Nightly News, which nobody watches anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, there's something Holt. about <laughs> uh, yeah, there's something about you know Twitter is uh, you can access lots of people. Um, that way in ways that, you know, if you were testifying to Congress, people don't give a shit about that. And so I don't, yeah, I I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tricky one. Yeah. No, not that one. Not that one. (laughs) Not that one. (laughs) Nick's looking at beers. Okay. Well, Uh, (laughs) I don't know what the first one was, but the fact that you went for a Miller Lite over it is pretty (laughs) tough. All right. Speaking of which, we should probably transition. That's a long time on that first topic. Let's talk about some beers. Yes, please. All right, Phil, do you want to start us off? (laughs) Sure. Uh, My first beer was a New Belgium Citradelic Mm. uh, Tangerine IPA. Have you had? Have you guys had that one? Yes. It's very good. You liked it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, it wasn't it wasn't particularly hoppy for an IPA, but it was. I, I liked the the citrus. I was. It was like today was crazy busy, and I came back uh, and popped this thing open, and I kind of guzzled it. It was, <laughs> it was, it was really drinkable. Um, I don't know that it's like this beer is the greatest beer I've ever had, but um, yeah, it was it was good. I can imagine, especially this summer, really enjoying that. And I just opened and started a line in Kugel's grapefruit shandy. Oh. <laughs> That is the best it's beer like ever juice. made. <laughs> I I don't know if I agree with Wait, you. Wait, which one? Which which shandy is it? The grapefruit. Oh, Phil, it's the best. I don't. I don't. The, it's not summer shandy. Like oh, I think the grapefruit can you, can is you better. You really call now. this a beer? Yes. No. They just made juice at this point. <laughs> they, juice. Yeah. yeah. It's alcoholic high C. Yes, exactly. That is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> it's great if you're mowing the lawn. <laughs> that, that I could see. Yeah, yeah. No problem if you're drinking that much while you're mowing know. the lawn. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It just doesn't It doesn't even feel like a beer that I'm drinking. Yeah. I don't. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't tear down the shandy. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick and I are enjoying. Uh, so uh, my good fr- our good friends from Vermont, uh, Elizabeth and Ken Jennings, uh, who... Previously brought us the heady topper from Vermont. Ken Jennings is that the 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 Jeopardy guy? Yes, yes. No, no. <laughs> but he's equally smart. Okay. So they brought us back another beer from Vermont, a sip of sunshine, which is an IPA. It has a wonderful can. It is made by Lawson's Finest Liquids, a small artisanal brewery in Warren, Vermont. I enjoyed this beer, Nick. What? I enjoyed it as well. Yes. Actually, yes. It was. Um, we're we're back to our staples now. So we're back to IPAs. Yes. Apparently. Um, yeah, it was, um, we were saying there's a, a weird distinction between, uh, IPAs from the East coast and those that we find in Chicago. And there are so many in Chicago. They, um, the East coast ones seem more, what, what was the word pronounced? Yes. Yes. Yeah, very, they're very hoppy and very full and very, uh, kind of, uh, juicy. Yes. I guess. Hop for, they, they describe it as hop forward and I think that fits, uh, and and again, drinkable compared to Hetty Topper. I mean, Hetty Topper is a fantastic beer. It's a complex beer, but this for me is just winner, winner, chicken dinner. I like it. <laughs> wow. Um, I I also had a a Mier Lite, 
Um, <laughs> it uh, tastes like stale peanuts and uh, college. So that's my my, um, my my thing about that. I'm having another. My second beer is a Midnight Pig beer from. Uh, actually, it's yeah, uh, titled Snitches Get Stitches. One we had a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's the one I grimaced. Nick didn't at. like that. Wait, one as I much. didn't want to do that. Yeah. Did you say Midnight Pig beer? You heard yes. Him? Yeah. Yep. And then their title, the beer is actually called Snitches Get Stitches. What's a pig beer? Is it brewed inside a pig's head? <laughs> yes, I think so. As long as there are no follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speed round. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm excited about this first topic as we're going back a little bit. So uh, this week was the 15-year uh, anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, or launched the invasion of Iraq, a war that in many ways has shaped the world, world affairs ever since. Uh, 15 years after the invasion, the war continues to divide the American public. A recent Pew Research Center survey found that while 48% of the American public say they say the decision to use military force was wrong, 43% say it was the right decision. So looking back, uh, do we have any clarity about the war's legacy and impact? Uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a useful time to think about this. So, so the Iraq War. Phil? Um, so... <laughs> Uh, first of all, I feel like I should say that now that I've had a couple of tastes of this grapefruit shandy, <laughs> it's growing on you. <laughs> no, it it is. It's like I'm drinking a Jolly Rancher, and that is not <laughs> what I had in mind when I grabbed a beer. Anyway, um, you know, I was talking with with some of my colleagues today about the legacy of the Iraq War, and and um, they were making the argument that. Uh, you know, if you could go back in time to 1999 and talk to people about, you know, predictions for the future of U.S. foreign policy, no, people would have thought the U.S. invading Iraq under questionable pretenses and destabilizing a region and like forever reshape American foreign policy, world politics has been shaped by the Iraq war since 2003. And in a way that would have been really kind of unpredictable, that that there was really no way to imagine that uh, even the people who were supportive of the Iraq war at the time never imagined it was going to go the way, um, that it, that it went. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to to make of that, other than it. You're you're right. It is worth kind of stepping back and and dwelling on the the causes and the justifications that we had and the impact that had afterwards and and the the ways that it has really this you know relatively in theory minor war has really kind of changed the trajectory of world politics. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, it was you know it was a, a an offshoot of of 9/11. I don't think you you don't have the Iraq war without 9/11. On top of that, you have the you know, the concept of of nation building which has just been a disaster from day 1. Uh, as as much as I I there there has been progress in Iraq over especially over the past couple years or so. Um it, it's it's a disaster. It was sadly more stable under an autocratic ruler who even Bush Sr. knew it was not, it, it just wasn't the right thing to do to depose him and try and create something new because there's no better alternative there at the moment that you can think of and you can't force a method of governance on that region as hard as you might try. And I, the... The legacy of that is you have a destabilized 
Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and Libya and most of Northern Africa at this point. And we, we haven't really learned our lesson. There's something to be said about military interventions where you go in, you complete an objective, and then you leave. And, and that's it, regardless of some of the mayhem that you leave behind. It's the fact that you continue to have troops there and try to think that you're going to fundamentally shift the thinking and behaviors and cultural differences of a people is just ridiculous. That's not what you're there for. Yeah. I, I, I would argue that that, that can be I don't done. do arguments. Sorry. <laughs> That what you're what you're saying, I, I think it can be done, but at a tremendous cost that we're unwilling to pay. I mean, right. you can see this in Germany and Japan, in which we still have troops there 70 years later, mm-hmm. um, and we were never willing or interested in in doing that. I, there's an argument to be also to be made that that the um, you, know, you talk about imposing, you can't impose a, a system on on a on a place. Um, I, you could almost argue that the problems are from imposing a system on a place in that you, you could argue that Iraq shouldn't exist. Like, would we mm-hmm. would we benefit by just saying, I mean, if you just get rid of Iraq, give part of it to Iran, give part of it to Saudi Arabia, you know, give the, the Sunni part to Saudi Arabia, the Shia part to to Iran and give the Kurds finally their own country. And and. We're so afraid of that and how that might destabilize the region that we have created and and propagated an incredibly destabilized region in the name of trying to prevent instability. It, it's kind of crazy how the extent to which we will sort of hold on to these ideas about what a place should look like. It's re- it's really something when you think about the legacy and reflecting on this. There's we could spend an hour talking about the decision itself. We could spend a lot of time talking about the implementation. But for me, I think the the war itself is this defining moment in America's role in the world. Because so before the Iraq invasion and the buildup to the Iraq invasion, this was sort of the peak of American exceptionalism. America can shape the world. It can do whatever it wants. And then when Iraq implodes, that is the beginning of the retrenchment. So you saw Barack Obama get elected on the the terribleness of the Iraq war. And then you saw Donald Trump come into office and continue that retrenchment, that pulling away. Uh, I don't know if it's the end of the American empire, but for me, this is a, a pinnacle moment where there was foreign policy before the Iraq war and foreign policy afterwards. And I think that one decision has put us in a very different direction. Do you, do you think we've actually learned any lessons no. from it, though? No, okay. no, I mean, I, 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 I don't mean to be glib, but because the reason why is is John Bolton is talked to, is is you know is going to be brought potentially back as a national security advisor. Mike Pompeo is another neoconservative. The neoconservatives should have forever been banned for a generation to have any influence on U.S. foreign policy because of that decision, uh, and we're seeing them seep back in. For me, this is a, a very dangerous thing that now this idea of a preemptive war in Iran or North Korea suddenly is is legitimate and if if we've learned anything from Iraq is that we should not do that at any cost because yeah. the follow up sure it's easy to bomb it's easy to invade but to rebuild a nation is incredibly difficult yeah. and so I'm terribly uh, concerned that we're not going to learn those lessons no I, I think that's what we're that's what concerns me about it is that we seem to be reacting to it 
but not because we've learned lessons or changed the way we think about the world. And and I would feel better about it, about our sort of our, our reaction if it was, you know, because we had really thought about <laughs> yes. how this was was problematic and how it failed. But yeah, I, I, which I think just leaves us totally open to doing it again yep. in a place like North Korea or some other place. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ew. Ew. All right. Topic two. <laughs> All right. In a shocker, Vladimir Putin reelected in Russia. What? Yes. <laughs> that is brand new information. Yes. All right. It looks like Vladimir Putin is going to be around in, around poisoning people and wreaking global havoc for at least another six years after easily winning Russia's presidential election this last weekend. This was a shock to no one as there was no real legitimate opposition to Putin and he's still widely popular. That's the thing. So there's no opposition groups and he still is reasonably popular. I mean, not, not a... Because he'll kill you if you don't like him. That is correct. Popularity is popularity, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) So the illiberal yet stable nature of Russia, and I would also suggest the Chinese political system, stands in stark contrast to the chaos that is democracy in the United States and Europe. You know, what are we to make of Putin's re-election, the general state of democracy around the world? You know, we can also talk about the fact that Donald Trump called up and congratulated Putin. Uh, So, I don't know, thoughts, reactions to President Putin? Really? Yeah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Go ahead, Phil. So there's two levels to this story, I think. The the sort of close-up story of Vladimir Putin won the election. Not surprising at all. He has for decades undermined opposition. He has arrested opposition leaders. He has killed opposition leaders. Um, He has, you know, it's... um, I don't even think it's arguable. I think it's pretty well established fake terrorist attacks to help, you know, win support for himself. Um, There was a I don't know if you saw the video that came out. One of the security cameras in one of the election places showed blatant ballot stuffing. The the fact that he won this election is a non story because it was it was expected because he is not a Democrat. He he intimidates. He cheats. He threatens. He does whatever he needs to win. I think the bigger story is the question of how the international community reacts to it. And that's where it it might seem silly that it, there's a national story about Donald Trump congratulating Putin. But that's this question that we've gotten. We've come around to a, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, um, you know, Xi Jinping in China and, and his changes and and how the international community just kind of there wasn't that much of a reaction. And so, um, I mean, there was reaction to Putin, um, Boris Johnson, the the British foreign secretary, who's kind of insane himself, um, made some comparison between Putin and and uh, Nazi Germany. Um, but you know the fact that the president of the United States is congratulating him and not critiquing the the irregularities in the election process and not talking about how this was a fraudulent election, that's the significant thing, right? The extent to which the international community has become comfortable with this Mm -hmm. there was one scene you were talking about the ballot stuffing there was another camera in one of the other polling booths that once they started uh, counting ballots somebody like let off a bunch of balloons that just happened to go in front of the camera as they were counting it's not oceans 11 exactly seriously (laughs) this the russians don't care they're like let the balloons go so we can you know i mean it's it's terrible nick well i mean the the other thing is like you said i mean he's intimidated or killed opposition candidates the opposition that he had here they were all government approved Mm -hmm. it's 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 insane to think that this was a legitimate election what I will say is that while I think that 
you know, American democracy and democracy in general around the world is fatigued by the crises that we've had over the past decade. The fact that we are still having these discussions and things are as messy and as complicated and as vitriolic. Is that even a word yes. at that point? Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, as they are right now, that means that the institutions are still there and there are enough people that are willing to fight for it to make a difference. Mm -hmm. That to me says that it's, there's still enough of a, 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 a spark of, um, uh, hope and willingness to fight for that method of governments and mentality and, and way of living that I, 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 it's, it's, it's almost, it's, it, it, you know, it brings a little tear to my eye. I know, I'm tearing <laughs> up. Right, yes. No, I, I, feel like the battle hymn of the Republic should be <laughs> playing behind yes. us to say this. No, it's, it's, it's good. As bad as things are, they could be a lot worse. There's a difference between, uh, false security mm. and legitimate insecurity because you live in a free society yeah, that's fair I, and i'll i'll take the latter all the time and I, I will say i was thinking about sort of about that point this weekend when when donald trump was tweeting and i was thinking so he puts his tweets out there and on twitter one of the greatest things is watching the reactions to his tweets mm -hmm. and they're they're not nice nick right they are not nice although i will say many of them are funny uh, brings a, it makes people funnier. Yes, Democracy right. makes people funny. And this is Communists aren't funny. This, Sorry. this is something that isn't happening in China. It isn't happening in Russia. I, you know, I, I am a bit... I'm struggling with the fact that it's hard to argue that democracy is the better system right now when you look at, at the stability of Russia and the stability of China. Awful systems. But then you look at the United States and you're like, well, do you really want Donald Trump? Uh, that That's complicating. Over Vladimir Putin... Absolutely. Oh, okay, good. Yes. Okay, good. Agreed. Yes. So, mm -hmm. but the, the other thing, this 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 issue of Donald Trump calling Putin, and so you know, the they had his his national security team had put together basically a, a handout for him to review before this call, and on that handout it said in all caps, "Do not congratulate," <laughs> and it also said, "Condemn poisoning." And Trump did congratulate him, and then failed to mention the poisoning and you know for me this is a whole other <laughs> issue like come on man you got one job as the president of the united states <laughs> you should attack dictators and say this is wrong and not congratulate and, 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 and i don't know this this makes me think the pp tape is real I, i'm gonna keep coming back to this so. <laughs> it, I, it, mm. or, or or something right it's, just, I, it's bizarre i think you'd here. be a personality thing again that he doesn't like people specifically telling him what to do or what not to do that could be i think it could also be there there is some part of him that thinks there there still are business deals to be had with the russians and ways of trying to recuperate our our political relationships with them that would be much easier for him to do Long going pass. through going through a pooty poot poots <laughs> i'm assuming he calls him one of those things um as opposed to, you know, a long, drawn-out diplomatic process that may not have the the desired consequences. Sure. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't think it's... he. I, I find it very hard to believe that he just didn't pay attention to it. It was in all caps. He had I to. I know. He had to have seen right. that. And then the, the, other, the other interesting element to this is that it was leaked almost instantly. Right. Which suggests to me that those individuals within the White House who were telling him, you have to condemn Putin, you can't congratulate him, were upset that Trump didn't do this. Right. And so it was like, all right, fine. If he's going to do that, 
we're gonna leak on him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're- Leak on him. Sorry, that's bad. <laughs> bad choice of words. Um, I know that we need to move on, but there's a, there's a you know I've I've said that earlier in this episode that we shouldn't be giving Trump the benefit of the doubt, but you could also argue that his worldview is one in which he doesn't he doesn't think that the he's basically made an argument that the U.S. shouldn't be a world leader like that that you know we're going to do our own thing and everybody else can do their own thing. In which case, if if that is your worldview, then uh, you know why why condemn or not congratulate right mm-hmm. Putin's doing his own thing we're doing mm-hmm. our own thing yeah you know if, we, if we're going to step back from world leadership then we're done being the the policemen of other countries you know ethics and morality which so. is which is kind of what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said from you know when she was at the podium about this and that that also struck me as problematic right I mean this is you condemn dictators Enough said. Meh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Next topic. I'm, I'm curious about, well, well, I don't know where we're going with this one, but uh, this is about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica under fire. So tech giant Facebook and data analytics firm Cambridge Analytica are at the center of a dispute over the harvesting and use of personal data, apparently more than 50 million Facebook users, and whether it was used to influence the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. Uh, Cambridge Analytical is a company that offers services to businesses and political parties who want to, quote, change audience behavior. It claims to be to be able to analyze huge amounts of consumer data and then combine that with behavioral science to identify people who can be targeted. Uh, the organization has connections to the Trump administration, specifically uh, the campaign for the presidential election. Now, Facebook today released a statement saying, protecting people's information is the most important thing we do at Facebook. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> so, so, I don't even know. I, I've been... I don't. I don't know what to think about all of this. So you guys are smart. What, what you know, and you know about technology. I'm drinking like, a Miller Lite right now. What, what's what's? I mean, I, I, it appears that the information that the Trump administration got from them wasn't all of that significant. So it probably didn't play a huge role in the election. But what are we to make of all of this? What's 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 significant to pull from this? Um, I, there, I, there's a couple of ways or a couple of points that I that sort of jump into my head. One of which is that this is not unusual that th- this uh, this type of marketing um, is happening all the time. Yeah. If you think that like if if the concern for you when you hear this story is how dare they like use my personal information to target me. <laughs> I have really bad news for you because this is the way <laughs> politics works. This is the way corporation works. Corporations work. Google knows a shitload about you that if you understood it would make you very uncomfortable, yeah. I imagine. So part of it is that this is the new reality we live we live in. Um, another aspect of it is that, that this was a – although – Facebook claims that it wasn't. This is a, a data breach on their part because essentially I, there were – couple hundred thousand people who had agreed to share their data but the the problem was that Cambridge Analytica not just didn't just take their data but took all of their friends data (laughs) as well Um, and there's another part of this that is remarkable to me which is the extent to which we are willing to forgive Facebook like that our will our desire to be able to see pictures of our friends or to be so the, the the level of addiction that we have to social media that we're willing to, you know, kind of look the other way is really, really telling, I think. Mm-hmm. Nick, you're on the Twitter. What do you what do you think about all this? I'm barely on the Twitter. <laughs> and I got off. I got off of Facebook years ago. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. It's I, it's 
the onus of this whole thing is uh, to a, a large extent on the owners and and um, developers of Facebook because most people, you know, they don't have time to read a fifty a fifty page privacy policy. And when you're as big as you are at this point, it, it's almost to the level of being a public service, and you should be held to a higher standard of protecting people's information regardless of whether you know well you know they were taking other their friends information and if, if Facebook didn't allow that in some capacity it wouldn't happen mm-hmm. so there needs to be some onus on them for the data that they're collecting and how it's used realistically Facebook doesn't exist without selling people's information that's how they make money so if you don't like that Realistically, the majority of the onus is on you, the idiots who put your information out there and don't Nick, realize don't, what they're doing. Don't call our listeners idiots. <laughs> Can you put that in all caps for me? Sorry, I ignored it otherwise. But, I, I mean, this is the thing. This is not... It's not a trusted news source. It's not something that you need in your life. This is something that is a luxury you you absolutely don't need it 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 shouldn't be part of your life to the point where you get up in arms because they're taking your information you just clicked a button and said that it was okay and you just put your shit out there so have some personal responsibility and either say that uh push for legislation that really reigns this stuff in or get off of the platforms those are your options. You don't need to do this. I agree, Nick. Yeah, thank but, you. But I don't think so. I don't. I think aren't we past the point of no. asking individuals no. to regulate their own behavior? No, no, we're not. <laughs> no, I. You know what? And I'm. I'm generally the person who goes. Yeah, yeah people are just too dumb to even realize that they need to be responsible for this shit. Mm-hmm. This is a fundamental question that we're going to have to think about going forward. Your information goes everywhere, and you have no idea where it goes. If you want that to not happen, don't sign up for this shit. Sure, it's it's uh, there. You you know again, it's you're they're using your information to make money. You don't know who they're giving it to, and now there are studies showing that being on there for as long as people are on there is detrimental to your health. There's no reason to keep doing that. But it's easy to point the finger at Facebook because it's, you know, terrible in its own ways. But, I mean, we, it's hard to not do this yeah. in today. I, you, it, it's not hard to not, I mean, Facebook is one thing. But if you use, I mean, we're on the Internet right now. We all have cell phones that we carry around. Like, the, our personal data is so accessible. I That's where, I, I don't, there has to be some level of legislation or some level of accountability yeah. for mm-hmm. for companies who are misusing this data, yes. especially um, at Google and Facebook and Twitter's level, because they're so impactful. Mm-hmm. It, we'll never probably know whether Russia or Facebook, you know, decided the 2016 presidential election, but it's entirely possible that they did. Right? That if you you grab certain markets there were states that were very very close and you could see how individuals who wanted to manipulate this process could have a significant impact on on behavior but then it, and in the end it, it wasn't it wasn't vote stuffing it was mm-hmm. no votes were changed it was the individual actions of the people who went on these platforms Absolutely. and had that influence their opinions that could have possibly maybe slightly made a difference yeah that's it you don't you don't do that you don't 
paying attention to those things, and it doesn't happen. Information is power, right? And I, I, yeah. I'm not disagreeing. With Misinformation think, is power. Exactly. Information sure. is not yes. power. And I, I, and I think I'm reluctant, like Nick, to regulate. But um. no, I, I agree. Please, <laughs> for in this particular situation, regulate the shit but out it, of it. It's complicated when you talk about Twitter and Facebook. But I think there is some responsibility that falls back on Zuckerberg. I mean, they've got Agreed. to do something. They have to either say. You know, we're going to be more. Tra- I mean, Facebook talks about transparency. Mm-hmm. That this is this is what they want to do. They want to create global transparency, but they're not being fully transparent. Right. And and groups like Cambridge Analytica are just taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. The the problem why it's going to be hard to get people particularly worked up about this for any long term is that the the these implications, the data breaches, the loss of information happens like in a distant. Like you don't mm-hmm. feel that you don't see that happening. It, like if if I was one of those people who got, you know, hacked or my data breach, I don't know that. And so there there's the sort of instant gratification of I want the convenience of doing these things, and the 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 sort of violation that occurs happens, you know, some distant place in which you don't ever see it or feel it or know it, and mm-hmm. and so it's hard to get people worked up about that. Mm. I I'm saying right now if. Everybody got off of Facebook who likes our page. I'd be okay with it. But then you have to tell five people about the podcast in person. <laughs> Each of you. That's, that's a pretty good, pretty good yeah, trade-off. It's, yeah, it's a good trade. All right, next topic. Uh, Gina Haspel, Haspel nominated for the CIA director. So to replace Mike Pompeo, a CIA director, President Trump has nominated Gina Haspel. Uh, Haspel's a longtime veteran of the CIA and most controversially, the former chief of a secret detention facility or black site in Thailand. Uh, that played a prominent role in the Bush administration's torture program. On her watch, uh, there was a detainee who was waterboarded multiple times. Uh, She was also involved in the decision to destroy uh, videotapes of those interrogations. Anytime you're destroying videotapes... It's going to come back and haunt you. She's a good soldier. Videotapes yes. that were they were told not to destroy. Right. Don't destroy these. What was that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear yeah. you. The blender was going. <laughs> now, she's received strong support from both Bush and Obama CIA employees, including former uh, director Michael Hayden. Uh, yet others, including John McCain, have expressed concern. I will say I am I'm deeply torn on this because she seems... Uh, knowledgeable. She seems to be a veteran. She's competent, well-respected, knows her stuff. Yet she was also clearly part of one of the most controversial elements of the Bush administration. I think her nickname was Bloody Gina. (laughs) You're making making that up. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I'm pretty sure that was her nickname. Oh, that may have just changed my thoughts. She sounds (laughs) fantastic. So I think it's easy to demonize her, but it's, I think it's more complicated. Phil, so where are you at on this? I, so, I, I mean, my initial reaction is to be appalled that she's being appointed as the head of the CIA because of the stuff that she's been involved in. But when I get past that, I, I think this is a fascinating little story because I think she, the debate that we're having about her, she she personifies the CIA. Mm-hmm. The debate we're having about her is really a debate we should be having about the CIA. Mm. She's she is immaculately qualified to be the head of the CIA. The things that we're upset about, the fact that she ran a black site or waterboarded people, this is the shit that the CIA has done. And so it really should be a debate about what the U.S. should be doing and what role the CIA and covert operations should have around the world. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't exist because I think they play an important role. But the you know, I I, I, anyway, I kind of like that. 
I don't like that she's been nominated, but I like that it kind of brings these issues mm-hmm. out because there are issues, there are these bigger issues about the CIA. And, and you know, if we're going to have a problem with the fact that she did these things, then we should have a problem with the fact that the CIA did these things, yes. which mm-hmm. is not something that we've really ever had a national conversation about. We've kind of chosen, like with the Iraq war, to kind of move on and, and let's not think about those uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. And unlike some previous directors, she has come from within the CIA. So you're right. She is authentically CIA, whereas Oftentimes they bring in, like even Pompeo, I mean, he's brought in from the outside. Uh, so, no, I think that's absolutely right. This is a real conversation about the CIA. I would also, oh, it's it's a conversation about the Bush administration. Well, she may have gleefully, is that a word? or Gleefully. 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 Gleefully implemented these torture techniques. It was still coming from Rumsfeld and Bush and others and and Cheney saying this is where we want to go. At a time when that was completely acceptable by the American public until they found out about it. Right, right. So, no, I'm I'm excited about her confirmation hearings because this will be a this is a, confer, a conversation that has to happen no no phil she's gonna get approved of course she no, is no, right but but it, it, there will be a short-term conversation about whether <laughs> that uh, no one will pay attention to yeah john mccain may show up and ask her some hard questions questions that we're never gonna get to ask dick cheney we're never gonna ask george w bush we're never gonna ask don rumsfeld she becomes the vehicle for having that that uh, discussion Mm-hmm. But that's so incredibly disheartening. You, you all have, we got. <laughs> you have brought yourself around to feeling good about the fact that John McCain might show up and ask this person questions about torture and then approve her as the CIA director. Like, that's what, like, again, like the fact that that that's the best we can expect in terms of a, a, our as a country reckoning with what we did and how we justified it is. Yeah, that's that's. It's I, a low bar. I'm gonna I mean, I'm gonna go look at Facebook and see what my friends are up to. <laughs> that's that's I mean, that's the history of the CIA though. That's what it is. That's what it was. Yeah. What it was founded on. They've done horrible, deplorable shit, and a lot of it was at at the particular time as when the the, you know, things were done. They were deemed necessary, or they were deemed positive because we were fighting the Russians, we were fighting the Iraqis, we were fighting Al-Qaeda, we were fighting ISIS. Like, it's, it depends on the particular moment in time, and the legacy of the CIA is something that we don't like that we have, but in the end, we know it's an effective tool to have. And realistically, if we're going to continue down that method of thinking, she's the perfect person to lead that organization. And you're not you're you're just not gonna get rid of an organization like the CIA like the CIA, especially with a resurgent Russia who doesn't give a shit about mm-hmm. any of these democratic principles or human rights or civil rights or any of those things. You need to have some sort of counter. I don't like it. But I understand the necessity for it. Yeah, no, the CIA does provide a valuable... I mean, it's, it's an important function of the government. And yes. they, they go to excesses, absolutely. But that would be the conversation you have about what should the CIA be doing. Well, and that's the point where a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in the last year has to do with congressional oversight. And if Congress would... If I had faith in Congress to do their job and to keep the... So the CIA is... is you know, they're they're trained to do a certain thing. Congress, their job is to make sure that they don't go too far, that they still answer to the people um, in some way. And that's where as you lose faith in Congress to play that oversight role, 
that's when it yeah mm-hmm. it, it gets um disheartening mm-hmm. the final thing i would note is that she's competent she knows what she's doing she'll be and, very effective and in the trump administration that is a rare thing this week <laughs> um ben carson you know in front of congress basically said you know he spent so ben carson they spent was it thirty one thousand dollars on a dinner set or dinner table i can't remember it was it was like a crazy amount of money it was very nice yes and his defense was oh, I, my wife was in charge of that so he threw his wife under the table it's that apparently the they wires. bought for thirty one thousand dollars <laughs> so you do that all the time bill right. <laughs> i vanessa <laughs> Professors make all sorts of money. Uh, no, it, 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 that struck me. The, the incompetence of many of the individuals in Trump's cabinet just troubled me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And she may be diabolical. What was her nickname? You said Bloody Gina. Okay, she may be Bloody Gina, <laughs> but I bet Bloody Gina knows what she's doing. And I don't. I guess I take that over Ben Carson or Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. No, Bill? I, no, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but we're talking about someone who knows what they're doing in the context of knowing what they're doing means like toppling regimes and executing people and torturing people. Hey, man, we haven't had one of those people in a long time. (laughs) Having said all of that, before we move on to the next topic, I would like to say that Gina Haspel seems like a wonderful person to all of those (laughs) National Security Security Administration people currently listening. They're listening to us. Totally support her. Wonderful, wonderful lady. She seems sweet. (laughs) All right, our final topic. This is, I like this one. All right, so uh, Trump is even willing to lie to Canadians. In a speech at a Republican fundraiser last week, President Trump revealed that he has made some stuff up when talking to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Trump recalled how Trudeau claimed that the U.S. had a trade surplus with Canada. Trump responded, wrong, Justin, you do. I mean, that's just like, that's his response. No, it's you. No, puppet, you're the puppet. Yes, Trump recounted (laughs) saying, I didn't even know. I had no idea. I just said you're wrong. You know why? Because we're so stupid. And I thought they were smart. I said, you're wrong, Justin. I didn't even know. I had no idea. Unquote. (laughs) All right. The the only problem in all of this is that the U.S. doesn't have a trade deficit with Canada. Uh, For some context, since Trump became presidential candidate, PolitiFact has evaluated more than 500 assertions and found that 69% of them are mostly false false or pants on fire false now while all politicians lie trump has taken this to a new level and the fact that he's willing to admit he's lying and that he had no idea and just starts lying to justin trudeau he's a businessman it's it's, a business tactic it's i don't know yeah it's it's terrifying hilarious deeply (laughs) troubling um yeah you're canadian right phil yes (laughs) hey (laughs) no i mean it it i think it's remarkable because i i i am not naive enough to think that politicians are all like you know perfectly honest and straightforward i recognize that they all lie It, it feels like most of them lie with some level of intention that there's something that and it just feels like trump just he just makes shit up not because he's not because he has some again devious plan that he's trying to to play out it's just that he's not ever going to admit that he doesn't know or that he doesn't understand something and so he's just going to make stuff up so it's not i don't in some ways that's less malevolent but it's it's in other ways 
maybe even more problematic. He's, so he's a compulsive, not a strategic liar. Yes, yes. God. <laughs> but then he admits it, too. He's like, oh, I totally lied there. It was Justin Trudeau, and I had no idea, but I just lied. Well, I, I mean, the, the other part of this conversation was that he was getting information from somewhere else. I forgot what the source was saying, that there was a trade deficit if you included, like, lumber and oil or okay. something like so that. So if you only count goods. So normally trade is goods and services. Mm-hmm. So Canada sends us a lot of goods. We send them a lot of services. So his point after the fact was, like, well, we buy a lot of lumber and right. goods. But that's that's kind of saying, like... Is that your Brian Regan voice? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like saying... <laughs> buy a lot of wood. <laughs> So Got let's, some oil. Let's, play, let's play a football game, but not count touchdowns, only count field. I mean, it, it's like, you know, trade is goods and services. Yes. Yeah, I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's the mentality of it. Because he, uh, there, there was some sort of thought process to this, regardless of whether or not it was true or not. And not in the moment, though. Not After in the, the moment, right. He's Yeah, he was trying to cover for himself. Yeah. But it's it's just, I'm, I'm, go ahead, Phil. <laughs> This, this seems to me almost less an issue about honesty and more an issue about expertise and, and this backlash mm. that we've had in America against, like, essentially saying, fuck the experts, right? That, that the idea that he doesn't know that, like, that's almost um, celebrated in, in certain circles. And that, that's something that is that is really disturbing. So the dishonesty doesn't feel like I mean, it is a dishonesty, but it almost it feels less like a dishonesty and more like a celebration of the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sick of all these people who have all the facts, right? <laughs> like I know, I know the truth. And, and that, that to me, uh, that sort of anti it's anti elitism, but it's really anti intellectualism mm-hmm. that this is, this is really in my mind, more a story about that. Um, the fact that a, a president is celebrating that he didn't know something is, is, I mean, it's weird that he's celebrating that he's lying, but it's even weirder that he's celebrating that he had no idea that he didn't know. That feels like a real change. I I mean, Uh, it's realistically, this is still an offshoot of the election because that's the ultimate example of the experts not knowing what the hell was going to happen. And uh, he's going to ride that until he physically can't anymore. And to some extent, there is that kind of movement right now where you can't necessarily trust established polls and and you know things are fake news and things things at least perceptually are are up in the air for the american public you're just you're just grinning at me go ahead no i totally disagree with you i'm I'm not finished with my point if you would let me finish my point you were probably on the same page i'm saying that there's this perception that those things don't matter anymore. But there's a reason why those are the establishings, because they have established themselves as having sound data for the majority of topics that you talk about. This may have been an anomaly in a series of political events, but you can't continue to ride that throughout the breadth of every topic that you talk about. You can't be that person that bucks every possible trend. Do you want to go now? <laughs> no, yeah, I think, I mean, I, so I, part as a political scientist, I, I want to push back about how I, the whole, the polls and the predictions weren't as wrong as people tend to think they were, but that's not the point. The, the bigger <laughs> issue is about, um, 
the, again, it's you're you're right. Like the on from both sides, that this is a trend nationwide to mm-hmm. to basically say you and your you know data or knowledge like can go screw off. I'm going to do what I want, and that's has to do with you know people on the right who um, dismiss any sort of environmental study. It has to do with people on the left who dismiss the idea that they should have their children vaccinated. It is this kind of anti-science, anti-intellectualism. Mm-hmm. It, it just that it, it, it's, I, I don't understand why it is in such full bloom right now. Um, but it's, it's not good, right? Like science and knowledge and learning are things that we should be praising and looking towards not not we shouldn't be celebrating ignorance i heard the jury's still out on science (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a perception that all politicians lie and yes on some level they do but for a lot of the time they are telling the truth and they're in politics for authentic reasons trump comes along and is such a liar and takes it to such an extreme degree that if i am if i were a politician i would be frustrated for the way in which he is sullying politics, right? I mean, he makes it seem like everybody is lying, that there's no truth. It's all just a house of lies. And I don't think it always has to be that case. And the difference between the rate at which Trump lies and Obama would would tell fibs or George W. Bush, I mean, there's a distinction there that is meaningful um, that makes Trump a unique and outlier. You're, you're right. Yeah, and the pride with which he does it. Yes, as well, and indifference to like the consequences. Yeah, I I, I agree to some extent. <laughs> he has yet to get us into two wars. Well, not I guess one war on on a lie or completely lying about all of the proxy wars that you're creating and drone strikes that you're doing without congressional authorization or oversight. Uh, throughout your eight-year term, but that's just two lies. Nick. That's just two. That's true. That's true. It's just two. Two big numbers ones. matter more than substance. That, that's that's a that's a fair retort. Like I, yes. I just yeah. Like I I I wish that that I had that perception mm-hmm. and and way of thinking. They they are liars. That's what they do. That like it's. People don't want to hear the how how the sausage is made. They mm-hmm. they want to feel good about themselves, which means that the dirty shit, which is the majority of things that happen in politics, never get yeah. talked about. No, they're liars. That's <laughs> what they do. But they're not Trump level liars. No, you're you, they're more conniving, yeah. manipulative, strategic liars as opposed to compulsive, idiotic, compulsive, yeah. superficial liars and. I, I don't know. Actually, I do know which is worse. I just won't say it right <laughs> That's a, That would be a fun conversation. Compulsive or strategic liar. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was fun, boys. That was a, yeah. that was a that was, it was yeah. deep. There's yeah. lots of deep good. thoughts there. Yep. Um, again, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, if you like what you heard, liked what you heard, um, or if you want to talk to talk to us about um, Miller Lite or any other, um, you know, beers that you can pick up for like five ninety nine. Yes, sip sunshine. Um, tweet us uh, at Barstool Paul P O L on Twitter, uh, Barstool Politics on Facebook. Uh, you can find the beers that we try on the Untapped app uh, that you can download from iTunes or Google Apps or whatever the hell that thing is called. Um, the podcast you can find on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Music, uh, Blueberry, 
I, I always remember Blueberry and not the other ones. Yeah. Um, but more than anything, uh, we're growing consistently. Uh, we'd love for you to share us on iTunes uh, and review us. Uh, that would be great. And um, yeah, send us beer suggestions or questions or anything else that you'd like us to uh, to consider as well. Anything from you guys? No, that was good. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>